Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Our normal host, our Deputy Director, Matt Brusky, is on a well-deserved and brief vacation with his family in NOLA. And so I think we got a very able substitute for the panel. Uh, we have, and he's a, also a Battleground Wisconsin listener, um, State Senator Chris Larson. So thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you for having me. I will. I those are these are those are big shoes to fill. I'll do my best uh, to sub in for Matt. Can't talk motocross, but I'll uh, I'll do my best on the political side. And Chris is a longtime member of one of our organizing co-ops and a board member. So uh, and a one of our major allies in the Capitol, working to to move democratic politics to the place where we actually start solving the biggest challenges of the state and the nation. So um, what I want to do today, Chris, yeah, we'll go beyond your, your current job description as, as legislating in the state uh, to, to start talk about the federal level, because things are very important there. And, I, and obviously, the state is part of a federal government, a federated system of government. So what happens there matters a great deal to us. And we have great influence here in Wisconsin. But there's a lot going on in the state legislature with the launch of the new session, the governor's inaugural speech, big state Supreme Court race. And we might be able to, we may run out of time, get into that what's going on with We Energies and the almost catastrophic shutoff uh, during the, the very mm. cold weather right around Christmas Eve, Christmas, and then their 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 huge rate increase. But let's see. If we don't get there, we'll we'll pick that story up next week, folks. So let's start though with continued mayhem in Washington and continued uh, stress in our democracy. I mean, it really does look like a democracy still under siege. Uh, Chris, what's been interesting is we're finally getting the January sixth underlying documents, and it's an extremely the January sixth committee impressive amount of documents. No one can read them all. I think we're mm -hmm. at 8,000 pages and counted, okay, counting, okay? So no one, virtually no one is going to be able to comprehensively read everything in them because they're all the transcripts of witnesses after witness after witness. It's actually put a lot of pressure on the Attorney General and the Special Prosecutor Smith to actually follow through on what looks mm -hmm. like a lot of criminal activity. And so, of course, since Wisconsin was the center of the insurrection, Wisconsin keeps coming up and we keep getting more information and specifically about Ron Johnson. Now, one thing I would say for this committee, and I guess people have different sides on this, if this was a Jim Jordan led committee, in other words, show investigations, they certainly would have released this information before the election to damage Ron Johnson. So if this is such a partisan committee, why did it hold this stuff till after the election? But what they have here is, is they've reconfirmed what we already knew, which Johnson denied, that he tried to deliver the fake electors to Mike Pence, and Mike Pence turned him down. And then new information, pretty uh, blockbuster, I would say, Chris, and that is that Ron Johnson actually lobbied state Republican officials to have the legislature name the electors and invalidate the popular vote in Wisconsin in 2020. I mean, flat out insurrectionary activity. So, and I know there's other stuff here. A lot of the people involved in the conspiracy did it thinking it was crazy, but then proceeded anyway. Uh, so Chris, what's your take on this latest uh, release of serious uh, you know, evidence against Ron Johnson? Yeah, yeah, it is a the way that you frame it too. I, I, you know, I might may not be able to read all the pages. You might not be able to read all the pages, but hopefully, uh, America Arlen's Justice Department has some folks who are uh, combing through with a highlighter and a notepad uh, because there is a a clear um, a clear path, right? It's it's not very much of a scavenger hunt that they have to go on uh, to be able to attach the the efforts to overturn our democracy to overturn. Uh, millions of votes uh, in our in in across the country and specifically in Wisconsin, and in this case specifically by Ron Johnson, right? And I, you know, I, I think it's 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 one thing to hear it from me as a as a Democrat, uh, but to, to to hear it directly from uh, the quotes that we have uh, from the Republican Party chair of Wisconsin, um, 
and communicating with the executive director, you know, how can he feel good about promoting this conspiracy theory is what he's alluding to about Ron Johnson trying to say that, that to have the legislature choose the electors instead of actually having the electors chosen by the people of Wisconsin through, you know, through a popular vote. Um, so it, it draws a very clear path for Ron Johnson, as I think it's it's uh, important to note that he he uh, says he doesn't remember the conversation, but he doesn't deny that this is what he wanted, that this is the will that he had then, and this is what he has now, right, to be able to overturn elections. So it's it's one thing to look in the past and say, oh, gosh, well, we're, why are we still talking about 2020, especially with Ron Johnson still there, and especially with some of these folks still operating in politics. This is why we have the law, right, to make sure that these folks are held accountable to the law uh, and that there is some uh, some justice brought that they have to be able to face uh, face the law, face prosecutors, and explain why they thought that this was a good idea. That doesn't happen. Uh, this is this was just a a, a uh, attempt, right? This is just a, a a drill, and they will try to do it again. No, that's historically the case. That successful coups usually are preceded by failed coups. That the government did not take countermeasures against allowing to happen again. So that is why an investigation is important. Now we don't have anything here that says Ron Johnson committed an explicit crime that we know of. Others have. There was a criminal referral against a lawyer. This is close to crime who actually <laughs> came up with and was executing the Wisconsin fake electors piece. So they're, they're, he's very close to crimes here. But you know, did but here's the thing: a Justice Department, a special prosecutor, they have a lot more investigative resources than a congressional committee. And so I'm not predicting anything, but I'm saying I don't know if Ron Johnson's out of the woods or not, or whether they could turn up more information that actually made uh, Ron Johnson a target of an investigation. Just saying I'd be worried if I were him. If I were him, of course, I wouldn't have done it. So it's sort of like it's a difficult hypothetical. Um, But, you know, it's it's. Right. That's the important that's the important piece that there is, you know, otherwise it's just it's a piece of news that flares up in a. You know, we're, we were familiar with it in the Trump era where a piece of news would flare up and it, under normal politics, gravity would kick in and it would bring uh, these folks down. It, I think we're, we're turning more to a normal time now where you bring these things to light and that should, right? It should bring down these politicians, these folks who are, who are a part of this, whether they went along with it and they, they wanted to, or whether in some cases they, they, the text show that they weren't somebody who was really a big fan of it, but they're still trying to overturn millions of votes in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, if it's not pursued, uh, it, it, it absolutely would happen again. It encourages other people to, you know, just keep trying until they succeed. And it's shameful that negative partisanship and the cultural triggers of the right been successful in getting so many people to be willing to support insurrectionists. That's the deeper threat to democracy, yeah. is that folks will still stay in their partisan lanes. Uh, when I say negative partisan, I mean they have been made by a lot of propaganda to hate Democrats and uh, worse than they hate voting for an insurrectionist, the ones that aren't themselves insurrectionists, which is plenty of uh, Republicans. But I, yeah. I mean, Chris, another way to think about how much the norms have been shattered, I think, is, I mean, look, both of us really want Mandela Barnes to win that election, right? You're a sitting state yeah. senator. I don't have a scenario here other than if someone came to you with a vaguely plausible or even plausible scenario that you could use your position as a state senator to flip the election to Mandela, even though uh, Ron Johnson did win the election by a very close margin. I'm guessing you would not consider it as much as you would want Mandela Barnes uh, to have won. And and it's amazing to consider that a Ron Johnson would even go there, let alone promote it. What does that say about his ethics, his qualification for office, his fitness for office? Right. I think, it, and that's, that's, that's a, it's a good way to put it, right. Is to, to say, what would it look like on the other, if it were the flip side? And I, and I think that there's a, it, it, it is, it is, um, it is nauseating to think about the idea that, that this is acceptable. If one side says, you know what, we're only going to accept election results when we win. Uh, and again, you know, it, it, it's, it's one thing that, yes, this was a 2020 election cycle and, you know, one of the, the, the things that was relieving um, of the many things that was relieving about this 2022 cycle uh, was that there was only one other person, one other politician who was uh, mainstream trying to call for 
uh, rejecting the results, right? This is not something that's normal. And that's good, right, in, in, as far as norms go. But I think as far as, as the law goes, those that attempt to do this, uh, they should be investigated and when it's appropriate to be prosecuted. Um, the same way if, if somebody, you know, it's common that people are prosecuted if they vote twice, right? There are laws put in place. There are ridiculously um, um, arduous and, uh, and, and, and tough to navigate laws to prevent people from voting twice. Um, even though the number of people who actually do that and, 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 and uh, actually make that attempt is so minuscule in terms of millions of votes. Uh, so I would hope that through the investigations and through this being brought to light, it would, it would change the law so that this is never allowed to happen again. And that anybody who even comes near it again is laughed out of politics to the point where they cannot run uh, in our democracy anymore. So we're about to take a break. I want to, at the other side, teaser want to talk about the revelations in the January 6th uh, committee uh, evidence about Donald Trump's obsession with Wisconsin overturning the election here and Robin Boss's participation. Um, and then, of course, we'll get to the House Speaker mess. Uh, as we record, there's another vote going on. But uh, we'll get to that. And then after that, we'll get to all the, the, the very important state news going into the new session. So you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, this is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by our guest panelist this week, State Senator Chris Larson. So, Chris, we were talking about Ron Johnson and what the January 6th materials released by the committee have shown and revealed even more about his, his role in the insurrectionary plot. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also information about Robin Voss, that Donald Trump was obsessed about Wisconsin, and furthermore, that he that Robin Voss didn't just talk to him the one time that has been the national news, but 10 times. Mm -hmm. And what struck me is, because we know Robin Voss did not try to overturn the election, but he was more than willing to curry favor by having spending a million dollars on Justice Gableman to run around the state with a clown car investigation. Um, and, and I mean, not have accountability for the money at all, but I did notice in the press reports on the documents, as I say, I've none of us have read all 8,000 pages here, that, but, you know, reporters I trust, that Voss sympathized with Trump and agreed there were there was a lot of voter fraud in Wisconsin in 2020. He did, wouldn't go and overturn the election, but he kept promising to change the laws so it couldn't happen. In other words, do voter suppression. So... Mm -hmm. There was a line for Robin. He knew it was illegal to go back and try to overturn an election, but he leaned into the big lie. I don't think the media has really pulled that out enough to say, look, this is really bad. We know he didn't go all the way, but my God, it's like saying, you know, I, I really think, think about fascism, right? I really believe that this group of people is a terrible threat to our country, but I'm against exterminating them. But other than that, I agree with your analysis. I mean, isn't this like a lot of the way towards the big lie? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and the, the fact that Robin Voss was talking to him this long after, right? And the, I think that's enlightening about this story that came out from the Wisconsin Examiner is that this wasn't that didn't happen immediately in, in 2020, right? In that gap between when, when Trump lost and Biden was sworn in, it didn't even happen in the first half of the year. It was later on that these conversations happened, the bulk of them. And so it shows that Rob, that it was uh, Donald Trump. This wasn't just the coup attempt that led to January 6th, right? The visual version of it. Um, that we that the people call to memory um, that even if there wasn't the, the the folks at the steps of the Capitol, there there was there was crimes committed and there was an attempt to overthrow our election and that that attempt continued for months uh, in 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 this case over a year afterwards of trying to convince Robin Voss to overturn uh, the election results by decertifying it something that's that's not possible uh, and he knew that but instead right he did what he did which is uh, having having a disgraced former Supreme Court justice uh, run a sham investigation, uh, threatening elected officials with prosecution if they didn't show up to testify in his office. Um, and again, in a, in a non-public setting without public notification uh, for the public to be a part of it. 
And, and this is something where it, it, it just continues that intimidation and uh, trying to, to move things to the direction of, you know, we can't, we shouldn't trust our elections. We shouldn't trust our democracy in the case where they lost, in the case where they didn't like the result. And all of that should be something that, that, that it does not wash off. It should not wash off any politician who entertains that in a democracy. Um, and I think for a lot of reporters, they, they, they do think that, right? They, they recognize that. And I think that there was even some blowback Right. Even a, I forget which reporter it was pointed out uh, that, that Robin Voss had spent over a million dollars of taxpayer money on this investigation. And when in a in a story that was otherwise unrelated, where he was talking about the fiscal discipline of local officials and how they're spending money and saying, oh, we need to be really disciplined with our money. And they're saying, well, you know, Robin Voss has kind of lost the moral high ground on that one. Uh, so it's on that on that front, but also in, in when they're talking about elections, election security and faith in our democracy. So it, it's on us. It's on uh, us as, as, as folks who are close to politics, uh, but also on listeners and on the press to make sure that they can't just, you know, try and climb their way back up to the moral high ground after they've they've so thoroughly seeded it. <laughs> so quickly on federal before we jump to all the I'll run out of uh, I want to make sure we get deep into state news your expertise in the legislature uh, and your day job sure um, <laughs> you know you've been involved a lot let's say process votes for leaders of caucuses you know during your senate career uh what's happening with the house speaker uh situation is amazing I mean there is no Congress there are no sworn in Congress people until there's a speaker it's in the Constitution there's no workaround okay yeah and uh so they can't we can't do legislation can't appoint committees the Senate can do things like confirm appointments but it can't legislate without the House uh so we're at a constitutional gridlock now it becomes a crisis if it goes on and on uh, we don't know. As we record this, they're in the seventh vote, and it looks like Kevin McCarthy, the wannabe mm -hmm. House Speaker, has already lost too many votes uh, to uh, the current uh, one the insurrectionists or, or the Freedom Caucus is voting for. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, someone no one really heard of, Representative Donalds from Florida, so has already got enough votes, so he is not going to win. We don't know if he's going to make up any ground in the seventh. You'll know more than we do. You'll know if they fixed it today or whether it's continuing uh, by the time you hear Battleground Wisconsin. But either way, let we don't know the scenario. Could It's still unbelievable if it ends today. It's even more unbelievable and threatening if it continues, right? So it seems to me that this is the chickens coming home to roost. Right. They have built this kind of party based on division and hate that produces people like the Freedom Caucus that they can't control, and they've gerrymandered Congress to get control of it and create utterly safe districts that support this behavior. And then they say, oh, we're the state's people, the state's men and women. In fact, they're, they, they're just as deeply reactionary of most of the people who are voting for McCarthy. McCarthy is very far right by any standard. I think McCarthy's anything you want him to be in order to have power. I don't think he has solid values and mm -hmm. principles. Uh, but have you seen it? Uh, you probably have not seen anything like this before, but, uh, and yeah. with such a close margin, you could have people dividing off in the assembly like Representative Brandigan last time, but they couldn't switch outcomes. So in this case, these folks have more than enough votes to not increase the, the 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 debt limit and bankrupt the country and the world and uh to demand massive cuts of security and medicare you name it uh so how serious yeah. do you think this is as a longtime legislator this is uh i mean what's what's interesting is this 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 the first thing that should come to folks minds right in in light of this 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 dysfunction that is eclipsing you know uh the the the, the course and purpose of the united states right now um, is to recognize that that Democrats had the equivalent numbers, right, as as a mere opposite this last session. And just two years ago, there was nothing, right? There was no drama. It was okay uh, for all the differences that some folks might have. Uh, they they coalesced and said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna rally around a leader and be able to to fight our own fights internally and figure these out for the good of the country. This is this is as you put it right. This is the chickens coming home to roost, where they have hyper uh, 
uh, hyper uh, gerrymander these districts so that the only the, the most extreme, the most anti-government, the most anti-democracy people uh, who don't have a consistent viewpoint on on on, on just about anything uh, and don't believe in government and governing. Uh, are the ones there's enough of them now that they're refusing to go along with 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 somebody who is who is extreme. I mean, the thing the thing to remember is that that McCarthy here is is no moderate, right? This is somebody who uh, just weeks after January 6th, after even he and uh, McConnell and other Republicans recognized the harm that Donald Trump was doing to our country um, because they were trying to attack and in in this in the case of of them specifically attack and. Uh, take over the chamber and do them harm, if not kill them. Um, that weeks later they went, and McCarthy went, made up some award, and went to to uh, Mar-a-Lago to de- hand deliver it and get a picture. Right, basically genuflecting to Donald Trump after he tried to have him and his colleagues overthrown. Um, and I think the reason he, that he did that, right, most people recognize, was because he wanted to become speaker. Right, he was willing to put all of this stuff aside for the sake of that. And and for this to happen now, it, I think it shows. Look, this is this is this is what happens when you have one major party in our country that refuses to govern, refuses to try and find what's best uh, for the course of the country, and is is willing to, um, I guess, to use an an analogy, right? In in a hostage taking scenario, is willing to, to to shoot the hostage, even even if uh, the negotiator is willing to give them everything that they want. In this case, it's not really clear what the heck they want. So this is going to continue well, no, for it, a while. It's even worse than that. And we'll get to negotiation when we do the, the state segment next. But they're making concessions to the Freedom Caucus that are not in return for them supporting McCarthy as speaker. And most analysts seem to think that those are deals that are going to have to be followed, whether McCarthy is the speaker or a compromise candidate. So it's a hostage negotiation where they, they yeah. can get the concessions. They don't have to give up the hostage. Yeah. And in fact, for them, since they're raising tons of money in their gerrymandered districts on this and among the national MAGA crowd, they probably need McCarthy's scalp, even if someone very much like McCarthy, not named Kevin McCarthy, becomes yeah. the speaker and they get everything they want. And the things they want, of course, are things going to make the place ungovernable. They're going to be allowed to defund agencies, defund specific federal officials, they're yeah. going to be able to unseat a speaker at any time with five members. So they're making the place even more ungovernable and setting yeah. up leverage for crazy investigations and other crazy policy and to try to hold the Biden administration hostage. We can say, Democrats can say, oh, get out the popcorn. You know, we're not going to just spectators once they're holding up the whole vote to increase the stupid national debt, which is a law that shouldn't exist as a face saver for World War One to appease people like Fighting Bob LaFollow didn't want to go into World War One, So they tried to put a limit on spending. That's not a limit on spending because the money's already been spent. It's a matter of whether we'll pay the bill or not. Uh, So money's been expended. So anyway, we uh, we have so much on state issues and I'm committing a podcast crime if I don't engage (laughs) you on those as you're a state better in the middle of the fray. So thanks for going federal. And then we will, uh, we're, we're, when we get back, we got a new let's say session, governor's second term, gerrymandered yeah. majorities from your colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Chris. So you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin joined by our special guest panelist, State Senator Chris Larson. And we're going to, we just talked about all of the mayhem at the federal level, uh, but we are going to, and Ron Johnson's latest uh, scandals, but we are going to now transition to to Chris's bread and butter. That is what's going to happen, what the stakes are in this state legislative session. And so we had a governor's inaugural address, right? He mm-hmm. emphasized abortion access, badger care expansion. He also discussed shared revenue, education. Um, so he laid out his agenda. We he, he also wants middle class tax cuts, something we respectfully disagree with the governor on, where, where Biden is, that we need tax increases on very wealthy people, but we need revenue. 
in order to succeed in this country, in this state. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to go through some things that are coming up. I mean, generally speaking, there's all this talk of bipartisanship, right, which is broadly popular as a concept. Mm -hmm. The problem is you need two partisans willing to actually negotiate and compromise to get bipartisanship. And I, I want your thoughts on whether there actually is any bipartisanship from two legislative houses, majorities, that have rigged the maps so that they're not accountable to voters and have yeah. elected a whole lot of people like the Freedom Caucus with these completely, you know, stilted districts um, yeah. who are not who are not at all vulnerable on what the public actually wants. But I want to start for that. I think that that affects everything we're going to discuss. But about taxes, okay? Yeah. We have Governor Evers for kind of a 90s approach, Democratic approach. I'm going to have middle-class tax cuts. And the Republicans, and the danger is he called their regressive tax cuts middle-class tax cuts and signed them last cycle. They were not nearly as regressive. What's proposed now, Tim Michaels mm -hmm. ran on a flat tax. And the Senate Majority Leader, Devin LeMahieu, is all in on a flat tax. I believe Michaels is a 3.4% uh, mm -hmm. flat tax. LeMahieu is a 3.5. Doesn't sound very different. Maybe there are some differences in detail. But there's a question of whether there's any common ground here and how we would not how would we would not have a situation where they just simply put a flat tax on the governor's desk and what he would do then. Because when Mike Rosen regular panels on the show, retired professor, economics professor at MATC and his colleagues, other economists did an analysis. A, the Michaels uh, flat tax would cost the state $5.5 billion in revenue, would raise taxes on 97% of taxpayers and decrease them right. massively for the top 3% of wealthiest taxpayers. So super regressive, most yep. of the surplus. Right. Yeah. And that's ongoing. There won't be a surplus every year. It starts to be cuts in programs in future years when we don't have an historic surplus. So is there common ground here? Do you agree with me how bad it is what they want to do? Yeah. So, I mean, to, 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 to start off, I would say, look, that there is um, the, the conversation around taxes is one that we shouldn't jump into right away. Right. We're battling on their ground if that's the case. And so, yes, we do have this surplus. Just about every state in the country does have a surplus right now. And it's just a matter of how they are spending it, what they're investing in. Some are experimenting with expanding access to health care. Right. Uh, others are, are making sure that their schools are fully funded. Uh, there's a lot that you can do with these funds, right? And I think for the purposes of what government is, right? Let's let's you know let's let's one oh let's do the one oh one, right? Government is just a collection of of people, right? Deciding what's best for the community and working together, putting our our money into the the middle of the circle, and then uh, spending it in a way that's best for all of us, right? And, that's and Chris, what it should. Let, and Chris, I want to put a fine point for you. Go on on the surpluses. Yeah. The surpluses are because of governing. You're talking about governing. They're mm -hmm. because President Biden was very successful in keeping high employment levels mm -hmm. and raised wages in a very difficult economy. That's a great accomplishment. And had the American Rescue Plan passed, which fiscally aided a lot of state and local government. So they're trying to throw away to billionaires, right, and 100 millionaires money yeah. that was generate for the state because of the good governing policy of, of a democratic president. Right. And in, and in a way, right, I think it's worth reminding folks that two years ago, Republicans used those that assistance against local governments by cutting those funds for them, specifically our schools, to the point where they broke the law. Uh, they broke the letter of the law and they changed it. So they still broke the spirit of the law of saying you couldn't cut funds to local schools. Um, I think that's important to remember that this isn't just $6.4 billion and growing. Uh, of a projected surplus that's just there, right? Like, like you won the mega bucks lottery. Uh, th this is funds that was uh, that was that was come through because there was funds put forward in the pandemic, uh, but also because there was a lot of belt tightening. So uh, the local governments have had to figure out how to how to stretch every dollar. And I think no no place is that clearer than in your local schools, where just this last cycle, two point two billion dollars was up for uh, uh, referendum votes across the state over seventy different districts because the state is underfunding them, because they refuse to fund special ed at an appropriate level, because they are, uh, there's a funding flaw in the way that this is set up. 
So this is not extra cash. That's just, we're, we're just walking around money, right? This is the funds at first, you need to make sure you're funding the basics, the fundamentals to make sure that our kids are not falling, falling behind. And I think we need to address that in the terms of what, what happened in terms of learning loss through the pandemic, uh, in terms of, of folks who uh, have been left behind and are still struggling, right? We measure it in our kids, but that's true of adults also. Uh, so I think going to the other end of the spectrum of making sure that higher ed is attainable and affordable, if not free for the entire population is something we could do with those funds. Um, so I think all of those things of what we should be funding and at the same time doing the Badger Care expansion, right, which which we spend uh, general purpose revenue dollars on instead of accepting and it makes it harder for everybody. So I think we need to start the conversation there all before we even get to talking about uh, what we do with the tax formula and changing it. Because as soon as you talk about that, it gets to be a question of who's paying and who is benefiting. And I think the, the easiest thing that people can remember is anytime uh, they hear flat tax, uh, they might hear fair tax, but this is just a tax cut for the rich, right? This is something that would benefit those who have the most, who are making the most, and the rest of us would have to pay, have to pay for it that's not just in boom times like now, that would be indefinitely. So this would starve local communities. This would starve all those things that, that I talked about have been tightening their belts for years. It would force them into that, that cycle starve every single schools, time a budget right. happens. Starve yeah. schools, deny us the money for a climate transition to prevent a threat to human civilization. Right, exactly. All of the, yes, all of those things. And I think that for, you know, this argument that they've been pushing now for what, 40 years, uh, of saying, let's just cut taxes as our way to, to, to prosperity. I think people recognize the, the despair that we have within our communities. And part of that is because of their own doing of the things that they talked about in the campaigns, right? They weren't campaigning on, on let's give tax cuts to rich people. So, so why do they think they have a mandate for that now, right? Uh, I think it is about making sure that- Well, they're, they're not about mandates, Chris, right? Because they, they're an illegitimate legislature that is a, has a supermajority. What hell are the people vote? Right. So, so this is where this is where I'm going to um, uh, disagree with you, Robert. I, I think that we, as a state, have kind of given them a pass now for ten years because they got through Act Ten. They got through ignoring the public for uh, right after redistricting, and they survived that. And ever since, they've they've been been ignoring the public. In this case, the the, the local governments, their local communities. Are, are no longer accepting the scapegoats that they present them with of saying, ah, it's, it's this community that's benefiting, that's, 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 they're, they're taking all of your funds, uh, that they're starting to recognize, wait a second, you're cutting us, you're cutting our schools. My kid has, has trouble being able to, to, to keep teachers. Uh, my kid's school is the one that's, that's seeing uh, uh, class sizes grow. My local government uh, is is unable to pave roads and provide uh, public safety and all those other things. And so I think if, if there was a, a grand strategy, it would be able to, to work with all of the local elected officials and local governments along with Evers and say, you know what, the, these extreme Republicans are trying to, again, cut you, cut the floor out from underneath you at a time where there's a surplus uh, and we're not going to, they're not going to allow it. So if you pay really close attention to what boss is saying and Republicans are saying, they're trying to say, oh, we need to cut taxes for the rich people, but they're, Ill, they're still trying to have this, this, um, this attitude of, of, of scarcity of saying, oh, we still have to keep cutting local governments. You can't have both. And I think there's a way to be able to, to, to isolate them because this isn't just, this is not just a democratic problem. This isn't just hitting democratic areas. This is hitting the entire state. Uh, and if, if, especially with so many new Republicans being sworn in, I think they're, if they're getting calls from their local electeds and their community of saying, you have the funds, why are you, why are you cutting the things that we care about? Uh, they may respond, right? And Evers may be able to form a coalition and get a budget passed that doesn't, uh, that doesn't keep shrinking, um, shrinking the possible future of our state. See, here, here's what I'd say. I mean, the point well taken, but, um, and, and something I think we should certainly, the, our strategy of, of actually organizing around that hasn't been tried. I mean, to scale. But here's the problem. First, Republican state officials, are they, going, are they willing to break with their party? Remember, what we've seen now is, is that these folks won't break with insurrection in order to stay yeah. on their side. And let's say they could, 
okay, go halfway with you because they do understand how devastating this is, then will that actually cause their voters to vote these people out? And I think you need both predicates. And I think it's a really high bar to do it when you have districts that are cut this way. In other words, if there's a closer margin. But I think that, let me put it this way, this is not an either or. If you create those fissures effectively and create internal problems for them, that would harm their position, that would affect power. So people need to understand that there's value in in, in making the politics of these folks much more complicated, uh, even if you don't get all the way that they're voting out of office. They're at least not right away. But you have to win a clear argument, and there's a problem that our Tony Evers means very well. He's a great public servant in terms of his you know, his commitment, how long he's been committed, what he what he wants to accomplish for the people of the state. It, can he be the communicator or can anyone that would make this crystal clear so they cannot demagogue their way out of this uh, this dilemma? Yeah, no, this is this is this is uh, this is it. And I think that, this, that if we don't try, they're going to continue to push forward this something that is electorally a loser. Right. When this was brought up during the campaign, Tim Michaels tried to run from it as fast as he could because he knew what a political loser it was. And even the Republicans denied that this was their plan until five minutes after the election was over. And then they said, yeah, this is what we were doing all along uh, and it would bankrupt the state. So I, I think we have a, we have, we have a good, good, uh, good ground to stand on on this and we've got to make the go for it. Uh, otherwise it's just going to be more tax cuts for the rich and uh, increased class, class sizes for kids uh, and, and less funding for our, our local communities. Points well taken. Uh... We got to take a quick break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. One more segment here, and we'll focus on state issues. We won't get to some of the other issues we previewed in this podcast. Uh, But let me say, on the bipartisanship, we've done taxes thoroughly and, and talked about shared revenue. On Badger Care expansion, which we touched on a little, Look, it, you see, the fiscal stuff's complicated, so even a lot of our top activists don't fully follow. We think that the cost of it is the lost general state revenue that can be spent anything. No, that's the smaller part. The bigger part of the bigger part of it is the amount of healthcare money we're turning away. That's mm-hmm. a bigger amount. That's billions, okay, to cover more people. So we're spending our own money to cover fewer people for the privilege mm-hmm. of covering fewer people, fewer the working poor people who need bus care the most or most vulnerable. And so um, Dylan LeMayhew, the Senate Majority Leader, immediately dismissed this and abortion access as partisan issues and not something they're going to talk to Evers about. So what could change that? Uh, what my supposition is that the governor, they use every ounce of their constitutional power. He introduces a budget in good faith goes through a process with all the executive agencies, which is a very long process, starts, mm-hmm. you know, last summer, okay? And then they just, they take a little, some of the his, his homework, but they completely do their own budget. And then the governor has mm-hmm. signed it when in fact their leverage is they can put a budget in front of him they want, his leverage is he can veto not only the whole budget, but parts of it. Right. I, you know, I'm on the Earl Ingram show, in, on the Milwaukee Progressive Station, 5.40 a.m. every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And uh, one of Earl's callers said, shouldn't the governor do something like veto something that they desperately want and need, say all the money for private school vouchers, as leverage to mm-hmm. get a fair fair tax system and to get Badger Care expansion, just for example. And that would be using all your leverage and leaning in now it would make the lead to a budget impasse and would would cause you know a campaign where you have to win the public argument. But quite frankly, I doubt the governor means to run for a second term. And the only way he's going to get more is to use his leverage. That's my thought. What do you think? And I know yeah. you have to work with the governor and your colleagues. You may not be feel unconstrained. If we were at a bar, you might say more than you can now but what can you say about that now yes i've had i've had a lot less beers uh right now at the at the recording so uh <laughs> with that in mind my my opinion may be slightly different than it would be if we were at sugar maple um i i will say that i think that the uh 
uh, the, the, the way that, that you outline that, that I think that would be right. It, 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 if, if, if Evers is, this is the furthest he's going to be away from an election, right? If he runs again, um, this is, this is a chance for him to be bold and to be able to, to throw an elbow here or there selectively where it makes sense, especially where it's something that the people are on his side. He pointed that out in his speech, right? Almost in jest that in some of these cases, he's got 60, 70% of the state on his side on some of these issues, right? Including on public school funding, including on marijuana legalization and decriminalization, uh, and including on access to abortion. Now, I get that those things uh, have a stark line, most of those, on, on as being partisan. Uh, but you know what? The things that Republicans want and the way that they're willing to be able to, again, uh, take take the state's future hostage in the way that they write their budget. I would hope that he would stand up and fight on these selectively, where where it makes sense, where the public would benefit in a huge in a huge way. Um, they should not be partisan. Some of these things should not be partisan. Badger care expansion is not partisan. We're one of the last twelve states in the country, and states as red uh, as you can get have done the expansion. We are just one of the last holdouts to spend more for less care. And that hurts all of us. That hurts everybody who's trying to access healthcare in our state. Uh, so on that and on education funding uh, and on so much more, I would hope that he does he does push a little bit harder uh, and and refuse to go along with whatever Republicans throw at him in terms of 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 of, uh, of, of just giving tax cuts to the rich uh, that the rest of us and our kids would end up having to pay for. Um, these things are they, they should not be seen as partisan. I don't think we should accept that these are. Uh, these are partisan, even if Republicans try and say that uh, that 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 saying, oh, yeah, sick, having having people who are, uh, you know, currently and temporarily in poverty shouldn't have access to to health care. That's 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 their position. When I don't think that should be accepted as a mainstream view of a party. When the federal government will pay for it, it costs us more money not to take it. It's unbelievable. Right. But um, right. Let me, and it's indefensible, and it is widely popular across partisan voters, the partisanship is among these legislators, so, uh, and their tribalism. But let me, I want to get to two more issues in the last half of this segment. Uh, one is, well, I want to leave for last the, the great bill you and Supreme Moore McCunday are going to introduce this cycle. But before we get there... Uh, more kudos to the Wisconsin Examiner. They have two excellent young reporters working with their senior staff, and that is Isaiah Holmes, who's been on Battlegrounds Council a lot, and Henry Redman, who was on late last year. And they have another tip, another scoop, Henry Redman does, that in one of the forums in the Supreme Court that the two conservative candidates, Kelly and Doro, uh, both came out for more investigation into the voter fraud in the 2020 election of the Gableman style, Chris. And then also right. Doro talked about the importance of people bringing cases, having plaintiffs for the Wisconsin for Law and Liberty to challenge more progressive laws. Uh, I don't know what those would be, the, the rights disabled people have in this country, to, to in this state to accommodation and support. I mean, go on and on. I'm just throwing out one, right? Uh, right. That where we have real laws out there that could be challenged so child yeah there's a i mean there's a bunch right child labor laws is something they view yeah. as being a, yeah. a left-wing fever dream right these things that we assume right having access to a weekend and having a safe working environment and and uh making sure that your water is safe to drink is something that they viewed as partisan recently so yeah sorry yeah, so chris it <laughs> seems to me that's great it seems to me that this is a perfect example of they've created such a clown car base and their and a lot of their organizations are in this lane that these candidates are trying to talk one way to them but they didn't really want it to go to the general public these ideas and but you know someone had a recording of the forum it came out uh because of the wisconsin examiner and yep. so um First, it's shocking. It's more election denial from two court. I'd say it makes them both unfit for office, that they they want to warrant more investigations in the 2020 election. There is no evidence of significant voter fraud. There's certainly no evidence that it was on the Democratic side. That's the funny thing. They just assume, of course, it's the Democrats committing the voter fraud that we can't prove mm -hmm. exists on either side. Why would we assume that? Uh, but I don't know. Doesn't it tell you that these are these are not again these are right wing politicians in robes, not judges? 
appropriately. And this unfortunately is not, uh, this is not new, but it does highlight that they are partisans, right? That, that we, we treat them as they're not, but they have decided that they are. And if you need any further proof of that, you can go back, you know, to the, to the topic we started with today. Uh, when, when Trump and his, his, the, the, the only lawyers uh, left that were willing to work on his attempt to overthrow our democracy and overthrow the election results, right, Jim Troopas being one of them, uh, were bringing cases around the country. Uh, they brought one to the state of Wisconsin to say that they should continue to look at throwing out only votes that were cast absentee from Dane and Milwaukee County, right? And this is a refresher. I know you get, you will remember it. And the listeners will probably remember it, but most people might not. What they don't remember, and the reason they might not remember it is because it failed by the Supreme Court by one vote. But that also means that three of the, the, the justices, all three of them who are still there, by the way, uh, all voted to say, you know what? Yeah, we shouldn't certify the election. We should listen to this. We should end up uh, hearing if there's a reason why we should throw out all of these, these uh, legitimate votes in the state. And so they made it partisan. Those folks are still on the court. And if they are continuing to, 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 to demonstrate that by uh, with the new the possible new justices, the people running and saying, yep, we are we are in that same lockstep of saying we should only consider um, one side of these issues and, 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 and whose votes we're going to be counting and in what issues we're going to pursue and who we're going to be listening to. I think it's a it's it's it should be clear for all voters to know that it should be something that we should put on pamphlets and get out there to the public so that they know that. And even in this case, if the, if you read the story, uh, this is something where most of the funding for what's going to happen in this race is going to become on their side is going to be coming from two individuals. Right. Uh, Dick and, and Liz Eline. Right. So this may have been an audience of, of, of two that they were pursuing, but the rest of us are paying attention. The, re the rest of us are listening uh, and they're going to be trying to get the result that they want so they can get a return on their investment. The rest of us, you know, we, we, we don't stand a chance in this uh, in a democracy uh, if they're still if they're if they're allowed to take the bench. So we're almost out of time, Chris. Quick preview of things to come. You know, we've been working with you and State Representative Supreme Morma Kunde for about a year now <laughs> on sure, what sure. gold standard bill that would actually yep. be the first bill that actually, in fact, in the upper Midwest, made the whole country that actually meets the climate crisis, meets the international climate greenhouse reduction targets, runaway climate change, but does it in a way that creates a lot more economic opportunity, and a lot more economic equity, opens up jobs to all the people who are denied access to good jobs in rural areas, disproportionately people of color denied mm -hmm. access to good union jobs. This does both complicated. It's not just a bill. It's too complicated. It's a package. Right. So the, the point is here, if, if, if the public isn't given, you know, what the real solution is, how do, they, how do we have a democracy? How do they ever relate to candidates unless this is in the public discussion? It won't happen if we just say we're all to do something. We all want more opportunity. We don't say how and what it is. Yeah. Don't take a risk. So I want to commend you to that. But anything you want to say with very little time about uh, about why you're doing this, or or when we or or you know what we need folks to do once it's introduced. Yeah. Well, when we when we get to that point, we will. I will. I or Supreme will probably be on here to be able to talk to folks. But in the meantime, this is the chance to be able to contact your legislator, and this is something I, I assume most people will agree with, right? To be able to uh, push the uh, the the climate and jobs package to be able to move for a just transition in the state of Wisconsin, um, and that's already out there. We put that forward in the in the interim after the session had concluded, and we're going to be introducing it. Um, this is the time to get those bills in front of folks, right? Um, because because bills have not been introduced yet. Most of them probably won't be introduced till right after the budget comes out. Um, and this is one where it does have a huge impact by those who've been left behind um, by the, the the current economy and would benefit the most uh, under moving towards clean renewable energy that's decentralized away from huge energy conglomerates um, would actually help individuals lower their individual bills and give them and their neighbors jobs. Right. That is these are things that that folks uh, it would it would help them on an individual basis. It would help them on the overall long term basis and saving our planet. 
Um, and it's doable, right? We saw huge steps forward with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is the biggest uh, climate bill to pass in the United States. And, and now we have that to build on, and we're looking to do that here in Wisconsin with the Climate and Jobs Package. Yeah, so the, the stay tuned. I'm sure we'll have Senator Larson and Representative Moore McCunday on to talk about this. And this actually will leverage the Inflation Reduction Act. That's part of the, of the additional right. work that needs to be done because just because it's out there doesn't mean it's fully deployed in Wisconsin to its benefit. So it's money we can rely upon. So I think this is huge. I, I think this is what we need to do in order to set up public opinion and a, really a, a public mandate uh, that could actually get things like this done, major breakthroughs. So hmm. it would be commended. There are ways to legislate and to build to build towards transformational legislation that don't um, don't lead to passing a bill right away that can be passed with this particularly gerrymandered legislature. So, and by the way, that can change as the Supreme Court changes. So, in other words, mm -hmm. if we have a real Supreme Court, we can end up with actual legitimate districts. So, with that, mm -hmm. Chris, really enjoyed your visit. And I know you're a listener as well to Battleground Wisconsin. So, great to have you as a, a, an active participant as well. And uh, good luck this session. I hope it's not too draining to sit there with no power in the Senate as they do whatever they're going to do. Well, yeah, I, I always appreciate being on. I think the power is 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 with you and it's with the people who are listening to this because we may not have the majority within that chamber. But as the last vote across the state shows, the, this is a very close state and the majority uh, does want to see action happen, even if the numbers aren't reflected in a gerrymandered legislature. So we're going to continue to uh, to make sure those voices are are, are heard, uh, not just if they're not heard in the legislature, they're going to be heard as that majority continues to grow to see action uh, as Wisconsin continues to build to be a progressive state, not just in uh, in, in history, but uh, also in the numbers once again. So thanks for joining us, Chris. And uh, thank you for listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Matt Brusky will be back next week. And I expect we'll have Tobita Chow on to talk about Representative Gallagher and his special committee to investigate China, uh, another another threat to, you know, basically whether this is going to unleash another wave of anti-Asian hatred across this country. But until next Thursday, that's our teaser. Thanks for joining us and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you.